continuing there through Revelation. And we'll be in chapter 18 this evening, chapter 18. And actually, it is all of chapter 18 that I am planning on covering this evening, which I know is a lot. So let me explain my reasoning here before we begin. I'm not trying to be like Pharaoh. I will let you guys go here at some point. We're not going to be three hours in one chapter or anything like that. But if you remember, there are seven parallel cycles in Revelation. Uh, we, when we read the book, it's right, it's appropriate, it's good, of course, to read it from start to finish, from chapter one on to the very end. That's a normal thing. But what we need to understand as we read it is that it's not continuing, it's not a continuing story from start to finish, really. Every few chapters, it is the story in the book is recapitulating. And it's giving us an explanation of this age that we are currently living in from different points of view, uh, with different things emphasized, each, each cycle giving us different details about this time that we are living in, the time in between Jesus' first and second coming. Not necessarily always exact specifics, but often general truisms that help us to understand what God is doing and accomplishing in this world throughout the whole age. And so that would mean then that the original audience, that this book was very relevant to them. When they received it, it wasn't like they just had those you know, first three chapters and then the rest was kind of not really all that important and didn't apply to them. No, the whole book, all 22 chapters were relevant to them. It's not describing purely future events. It's describing things that were true then and things that have consistently been true since then all the way up to this very day and will be true until Christ comes again. And that means it's also relevant for us as well. Because it's often popular in our day and age with dispensational premillennialism to think that, you know, even chapters four all the way through, you know, the very end are future. They're not happening now. But that's not what we have seen in this book. And the seventh and final cycle of the book, which is made up of the last chapters, we'll get into details about what happens after the Lord Jesus comes again. And there we get apocalyptic descriptions of the new heavens, the new earth. But the first 19 chapters of this book are telling us, through apocalyptic imagery, what life is like here and now for people living now before the second coming of the Lord Jesus. It's explaining this great cosmic battle between the lamb slain who is living, the Lord Jesus Christ, and those who are trusting in him, who we read, who we read some chapters ago, are sealed and marked by him, and then also against the great dragon, the great red dragon, who is Satan, who employs these two beasts that represent political governments and culture, which would include false religion, and then also people who are in league with the dragon and the beast. They are said to take the mark of the beast. They are sealed and marked by him, the number of man, man in rebellion unto God. And again, it's explaining these seven cycles. They're explaining this cosmic battle through recapitulation. It's telling of the kinds of events, judgments, persecutions, victories, tribulations, calamities, and so forth that are happening according to the sovereign hand of our God as he is presently building his kingdom here in this age that we live in. Again, this age in between Jesus' first and second coming. And so in our text where we have been uh, now for, I think this will be our third week, we are in the sixth cycle. And the sixth cycle began with chapter 17. And in this cycle, there is special emphasis on what John is being shown as and revealed as this figure, this character called the great prostitute, um, also described as Babylon, 
the great mother of prostitutes and earth's abominations in chapter 17. John sees her described as sitting on the second beast, the beast that arose from the, from the sea. And she is in cahoots with him. Uh, and that what that means is this world that we live in, uh, the, the people, the nations, and the systems and the structures within them, as represented by Babylon here in Revelation, is the enemy of God's people and is the center of seduction at any moment in history. This Babylon, her goal is to seduce believers and turn them away from God through sensual pleasures, money, and power, the very things, of course, that the world loves. Babylon symbolizes the world as a spiritual, immoral entity created by men in opposition to God. Just like with that story of the tower in Babel back in Genesis 11, where man came together to build this tower to try to reach up to God. That's that same spirit of Babylon. And when she, this woman, and the second beast fail to seduce believers, there's always the possibility of persecution from the two beasts as well. And this is the believer's lot in this life. This is how we are being prepared for heaven. We are in a spiritual battle every day. And Revelation is encouraging us to remember this and then to be aware of the kind of attacks that the, of the enemy and how God's judgment upon rebellious sinners will often impact believers with sometimes suffering and persecution. All of that according to God's providence and his divine will. And so we shouldn't think then that we will, or people at some future time before the second coming of Christ, will experience a suffering-free and persecution-free existence. Our Lord Jesus did not experience that in this age, and neither shall we. Those who suffer with Christ will be glorified with Christ, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8. True believers are those who share in the suffering and Christ's suffering. And we go through our own crucifixion, as it were. We die to self, and then we are raised to new life in Christ Jesus. And then we put to death the sin that remains all through the power given to us by Christ. And that is often a sufferable experience in and of itself. Babylon, the world, sometimes she'll look attractive to us. And denying ourselves isn't easy. But we must do it, and we desire to do it, and may the Lord help us to do it. And then, of course, there is the suffering that comes with being identified with Christ. The shunning, the shaming, the ostracizing, the mocking, the persecution, and sometimes even persecution that ends or leads to death. And friends, these are the normal Christian experience. It's what you sign up for when you become a disciple of Christ. And Revelation has been communicating these things to us with stark clarity. I know that people love to say this is a confusing book, but these things actually have been communicated to us clearly over these you know, now 18 chapters. And um, it is the normal Christian experience. And that's because Babylon will always be in this world at work. Up until the very end, when Christ comes, the parousia, the second coming. And when he comes then, it's in victory to usher in the eternal age and bring under judgment, finally then, the dragon, the beasts, and all associated with them. And that is what is being actually generally described here in chapter 18. The judgment of Babylon. That's what chapter 18 is mostly looking at. Generally speaking, this whole chapter is dealing with that subject. Again, the judgment of Babylon. Either little Babylons throughout the ages. After all, nations come and go, don't they? 
if you remember, uh, John's original audience, they would have easily, easily identified the Roman Empire as the great prostitute, as Babylon. And of course, you know, there is no Roman Empire today, but there still is certainly this spirit of Babylon alive and well in nations today. So either little Babylons or it's in reference to the final judgment of Babylon, this 18th chapter, the world system at the end of the age. We've seen that already in chapter 17 some, and I've read in previous weeks from chapter 19 where it's referenced there as well, that battle of Armageddon. But what we're seeing here with this chapter is actually, I think, most likely both. That when nations fall throughout the ages, kingdoms come and kingdoms go, all by the sovereign hand of the Lord God, that these collapses and judgments are typological of what will happen with the whole world system in all of its expressions at the end of the age, when Babylon is judged finally for the last time. Now, another thing to see about chapter 18 is that there's two major divisions and three acts contained in the chapter, basically. That is, that there are three different points where we see John seeing and or hearing messages from these angelic beings, these messengers. Verse 1, verse 4, and verse 21. And each of these acts are supporting the same message of the destruction of Babylon, but with different focus. And because of that, focusing on the whole chapter in one setting makes sense to me. And one more thing, if you have your Bible open uh, to chapter 18 of Revelation, you may notice the typesetting of the chapter is very interesting, uh, if you have an ESV at least. It's not just lines of text. But the sentences in much of it are, are broken in parts. They're short and they're numbered at, a, at a, number, a number of places. It looks different from chapter 17. And the reason for that is a decision from the publisher and translators to communicate the source material for what is said in this section. Because what you have in chapter 18 is a very large collection of Old Testament allusions and quotations concerning judgment and the language associated with judgment. And so at length, the visions that John sees and the messages that he hears are best understood in light of passages from Ezekiel, from Isaiah, from Jeremiah, and from Zephaniah. The Holy Spirit is drawing upon these events from the history of Israel to make points about the judgment that comes upon Babylon in this age. And those, you know, those prophets, they were all dealing with these governments that were opposed to God's people. And so it made sense, again, to me to try to take this whole thing as a whole, all 24 verses. So let's read the chapter, and then we'll ask the Lord to help in prayer. We're grateful because we know that the reading and hearing of God's word does not come back void. So chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. <clears throat> After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury. 
So give her a like measure of torment and mourning, since it is in her heart, she says. I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth, who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her, will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, or alas, or even woe, woe, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her, since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple, cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, horses, and chariots, and slaves, that is human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and splendor are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares, who gained wealth from her, will stand far off, in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and those who trade on on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city, where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth, for in a single hour she has laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone, like a great millstone, and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence, and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more, and a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more, and the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more, and the light of a lamp will shine in you no more, and the voice of the bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more, for your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery, and in her was found the blood of the prophets and of the saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. That ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and sufficient word. Let's pray and ask for his help. Gracious and holy God, we thank you for preserving this word for us, your revelation unto John and the church in this age. And we pray, Lord God, that you would give us over to sound doctrine. We notice many things repeating in this text. Lord, we understand the theme by grace of which you are trying to build up up into. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would impart understanding to us, that you would help us to understand your word as you have desired it to be understood, and that from that you would conform us to Christ and cause us to live lives of worship and giving you glory. For you are worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, as, or just as the beast from the sea and the prophet from Revelation 13 have always been active in this world, so it is with this prostitute, this Babylon. Uh, the dragon of Revelation 12 has always used the, these three political, these three things, political powers that persecute, 
false teaching and the seductiveness of the world to draw away men and women from the worship of the Creator into idolatrous worship of the creation instead. And so by the end of chapter 17, if you remember, we are given a good idea of what this prostitute represents. Uh, She represents, again, the seductiveness of the world. She represents the way in which the world particularly the great cultures and the great cities of the world, seduce and drive men and women to chase after her pleasures to make those pleasures supreme, uh, the pleasures of money and power and fame and sexual immorality, to name a few. As we read before, uh, the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality with her, and from her cup is the dwellers on the earth have become drunk. That's 17.2. Remember also that at the end of chapter 17, we have only been given at that point a description of the prostitute, along with the description of the beast that she rides upon. So she is beautiful, and the power of her persuasion and her seduction was recognized even by John. But as of yet, we've heard nothing of her judgment that was promised to us in 17.1, when the angel said to John, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters. And that's where we come to chapter 18, a description of the judgment of this prostitute whose name is Babylon. Well, what is the point of all of this? Why is this vision given to John and then through him to us? What does God desire for us to take away from all of this? I think his desire is that we would come to see the sinful seduction of the world for what it is, something that is ultimately empty, Something that leads to death. Something that is destined for judgment. You notice the judgment spoken of Babylon here is as if it's already happened. Fallen. Fallen is Babylon. We read that a number of times. And having to come see the prostitute or Babylon for what she is, then we are able by grace to flee from her to God through faith in Christ Jesus and to the heavenly and eternal city, the heavenly Jerusalem. And it's an encouragement then to the early church and to us as well. Because that, this world which opposes us, uh, which often our flesh enjoys and we hate, we know it will not win. The world will not win. We're being shown that here with clarity. Revelation describes, chapter 18, describes the judgment of Babylon to us. But in such a way that we also receive a heavenly commentary on Babylon's true nature. You know, everyone seems to have an opinion on the things happening in the world. Turn on the television or talk radio or listen to a podcast and you'll find no shortage of commentators. But friends, I would remind you that it is God's commentary that matters the most. It is his perspective on the world that we should be the most eager to hear. And indeed, that is the point of of view that every child of God should adopt as his or her own. So, When the news of Babylon's destruction is announced, there are two responses, two sets of responses, two divisions in the chapter, and they're measured out through three acts or through three scenes. The first scene is that from heaven, and it's found in verses 1 through 3 3 of Revelation 18. The second response contains two scenes, and it's found in verse 4 through 24, and that's the lament of those who profited from the great city and who participated in her idolatry. So starting with the response from heaven. Again, we read in verse 1, After this I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had, a great, he had great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Uh, if you remember from some months ago, earlier in Revelation 14, 8, 
an angel. You can look back there in Revelation 14.8. There an angel has already announced Babylon's impending doom. Uh, there we read, a second angel, another angel, a second angel followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made, the, made all nations drunk or drink the wine of her passion, of her sexual immorality. That earlier announcement of judgment upon Babylon is now reiterated and more light is shed upon it and what is happening in it. And that light is also from Israel's history as well. There are a number of echoes or allusions in these words from the Old Testament, especially in Jeremiah 50 and 51, uh, which depict the, the fall of the, that present actual city in history, Babylon, as well as in Ezekiel 27, which predicts the fall of the city of Tyre. Israel's prophets foretold that these two Gentile cities, which seduced and oppressed Israel, would be destroyed by the hand of God. And again, remember, that is what the political powers and Babylon, as represented by the nations opposed to God, do today to God's people, oppress and seduce us. Their destruction, centuries earlier, of the literal Babylon and Tyre, for example, in turn, become a picture of what will happen to Babylons throughout time, as well as what's in store for Babylon as a whole at the end of time. The angel reveals this all is significant. This is the first time an angel has been described like this in this book, and we notice that it speaks with the authority of God. It's an, it's an angel with great authority, and having been in God's presence, having received this message from God, this angel radiates the divine glory, thereby making the earth bright, we read. This angel is shedding light upon a problem, as it were. Babylon's end, or reality even, is much different than the picture of beauty and enticement that we saw of her in chapter 17. According to this angel, he says, she has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast, for all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from the power of her luxurious living. The, the greatly adorned city of man, if you remember how she was described, uh, it's, she will suddenly, and often at times, suddenly becomes a destined, des, desolate wasteland, inhabited only by demons and birds and beasts that eat dead and rotting flesh. Her deceptive glory, when she is judged, is gone. That is what she actually always was for those with eyes to see the truth even. And now, without her jewelry and makeup and her fancy dress that was commented on in chapter 17, her beauty is no more. Her true ugliness is exposed, and her lovers desert her. We read about that last time in chapter 17. She's left destitute, a hollow shell of her former self, and all those entangled in her idolatry will suffer the same fate. But just as soon as we receive the announcement of Babylon's destruction, a solemn warning is proclaimed to those who dwell upon the earth. According to John's testimony in verse 4 through 5, he says, Then I heard another ver a voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Well, with the second division, a second angel sounds a warning to God's people, commanding them to flee from the city before God's wrath rains down upon her. 
This is reminiscent of 70 AD and what Jesus said in the Olivet Discourse as a warning there for believers to come out of Jerusalem. Pastor Nick is in that very section of Mark's Gospel, and we thought about it some last week, and that means I think we'll have more time to think of it in coming weeks as well. But question for you guys. Does 70 AD and the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem fall in between Christ's first and second coming? Yeah, yes, it does. It certainly does. And for John's original audience here in Revelation, that event was about 20 years in the past. But again, as nations rise and fall throughout the course of history, it's all of these things are pointing typologically to that final fall of Babylon at the end of the age. And then even more. This is a loud echo from the, from the Old Testament here as well. Three times in Jeremiah 51, God calls out to his people, commanding them to flee from Babylon before it's too late. In Isaiah 52, the prophet is speaking of a future exile for Israel, warning God's people that a time will come when they must, quote, depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing. He continues on, go out from their midst of her, purify yourselves, you hear the vessels, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. And a similar warning here is now purported through John here in Revelation 18. But since this message is proclaimed by John to not only those in 90 AD, but to those living throughout this present evil age, we are reminded then that we as God's people are living in exile here in the city of man now, today, in Babylon. Here in the United States, even, in Babylon, we wander through the wilderness of Babylon, of this evil age as pilgrims, functioning as salt and light while making our way to the heavenly city, going through great tribulation as back in chapter, I believe it was 11, spoke of. And while we must take the great commission with seriousness as we seek to build a godly culture and rule and subdue the earth in the name of Christ through the gospel, and the church is presently at the same time exiled in Babylon, approaching the heavenly city, but also in conquest under the greater Joshua, we must always remember that our true citizenship is in heaven, where Christ is seated above. And so the call is for us to come out of Babylon, not transform Babylon into Zion. Our conquest is seen in the conversion of rebels to saints, of enemies of God being turned into the adopted sons and daughters of Yahweh. And so, remember, we're warned by John here in clear terms that the great prostitute will tirelessly seek to entice us away from Christ through the allure of the city of man, its wealth, its power, its glamour, popularity, whatever it, whatever it can use to draw our attentions and our devotion away from the Lord God, its seductions. And just like the prophets warned Israel during her time of exile, John is warning us here in Revelation 18, come out of her. Don't fall for her deceptions. The city of man, Babylon, will fall under the direct judgment of God. And if we become involved in her sins, her idolatry, we too risk coming under God's judgment. For God will not be mocked. And we need to take this seriously. And therefore, we must heed this angel's warning. And we must come out of this great city while there is still time. If you are here and Christ is not your Lord and Savior, then properly speaking, you are still in this great city being deceived, thinking that pleasure and happiness can be provided for you somewhere outside of Christ. But the angel's call to you is to come out of her. Put nothing in front of the Lord God, because she will be judged. If you remember in Revelation 16, 
The angels and saints proclaim the fact that God's judgments are just and true. The punishment that God brings upon the prostitute likewise matches the nature of her crimes. She has seduced the earth while persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. It is the principle of lex talionis, the the concept of an eye for an eye. So this is why the angel exclaims in verses 6 through 8, pay her back as her she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart, she says, I sit as queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. God is just. She ought to... She, she, this woman, the great prostitute, Babylon, has sought to repay humanity double for its deeds. And that's what she has coming for her then as well. A like measure of torment and mourning. She will be consumed by those very things for which she thought herself immune to. Famine, death, and mourning. Glory and luxury will give away. It's, it's fleeting for her. Maybe she does not see it. Certainly those deceived by her do not see it. And it will lead to grief and torture. It's a, it's a frightening picture of what awaits those who turn their backs upon Christ because of the allure of the world, the allure of this prostitute, especially because they were deceived. They thought they were getting life and abundance and joy, but it's the opposite that the world is truly offering to people. The, the consequences of her fall are far-reaching. In verses 9 and following, uh, we read, And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. The kings, the political powers of the earth that worship the prostitute because of her wealth and power, but now it's all gone. And so the nations weep and mourn because in one hour, Babylon the Great goes up in smoke, consumed by the judgment of God. But the the kings and the political powers of the earth are not alone in their grief. You can imagine what they must be thinking. Everything that they thought they had was a a sham. It was all a lie. And then it's all gone according to the um, providence and the ordination of God. But these political powers aren't alone. We We read in verse 11 and following that the merchants all weep and mourn as well, too. And then they list off a number of different um, articles that express wealth and pleasure and satisfaction, satisfaction in the created things rather than in the creator. And the point is being is that those who were made rich by the prostitute and also profited and participated in her idolatry are now, after understanding this judgment of Babylon are now terrified by her fate. The culture goes the way of the political powers, in other words. And just like with Ezekiel's description of the destruction of the city of Tyre in Ezekiel 27, John also catalogs this great long list of great wealth which is lost when the great city is consumed by the flames. The culture and the lifestyle that the prostitute promised was all illusory. But they not only lament the loss of wealth and comfort, John says that they were terrified by the sight of her burning. 
For as the prostitute has been consumed, so will they. Why? Because all of their hope was in this system. And their hope is gone at the, judgment hand, at the hand of the judgment of God. And they will be consumed with it. Babylon's wealth not only included gold and silver and other expensive items, which were, again, a symbol of comfort and pleasure, but the great prostitute also traded in the souls and bodies of men, we read. Which, you know, could be a description of slavery. Many commentators go that way. But remember, Revelation is full of symbolism. And so why become super literal here? Most likely, the human souls referenced are the, the culmination of a decadent culture's ruthless pursuit of her pleasure, whatever the cost to others. I mean, just think of people who are lost to drugs and alcohol. There are certain parts of cities that you can go through, and you see these souls who are just destroyed sitting along the street, especially with this like fentanyl crisis that we have going on right now. These are people, people made in the image of God who have been deceived by the pleasures of this world and their lives are utterly lost. Think of the people lost to sexual deviancy through rape or through prostitution. Think of the damage that these things leave upon a person. The the merchants, they trade in human souls. And since God's judgment is just, all those who participated in such despicable behavior must now watch all that they have worked to attain go up in flames. Flames also foreshadow the judgment that awaits all those whose hands are covered in the, in the blood of men and who have exploited God's people in order to increase ill-gotten gains. And when a political and cultural power like this collapses, it has the appearance of happening fast. You know, the first half of verse 17, in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid to waste. When a culture collapses, certainly we can look back and say, oh, look at all these things leading up to it. We might do that with our own culture and society right now. But when it happens, it's just, it's done. And we know that when the Babylon is judged at the, at the end, as Paul says in Second Thessalonians, that the Lord Jesus will destroy uh, the Satan and the, and the worldly systems with the breath of his mouth. That'll be fast too. It's pointing to that reality of God's judgment coming at a time and being enacted upon by the Lord according to his plan. When a when a city of man falls, it has far-reaching impact upon other manifestations of Babylon. Think of Rome or Greece or Persia when they fell. When a nation falls, others from elsewhere take note, but they don't repent, we see. And so the second half of verse 17 and following says, All the shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all those who trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like that great city? And they threw dust on their heads. And they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Like the merchants who weep, so too will the sailors and tradesmen who hauled their car- her cargoes. Treaties between nations for the seductions offered by the great prostitute fizzle. And so they too watch as their livelihoods go up in smoke of the great city. They join the kings and the merchants in a heartbroken lament for the city. Woe, woe, alas, alas, O great city, for in one hour she has been destroyed, and her destruction foreshadows their own as well. But whereas the earth's inhabitants mourn, heaven celebrates Babylon's destruction. As we read in verse 20, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets. 
for God has given judgment for you against her. Babylon is held responsible for the blood of the martyrs. Uh, She has seduced kings and nations and peoples, enticing them into idolatry and the persecution of the saints. She has done the, the bidding of the beast, riding upon his back. But one day, God will vindicate his saints who have suffered at their hands, and the great prostitute will be destroyed. The question of the saints in the fifth seal is answered. Remember what was said there back in Revelation 6. 9 through 10. You turn there and, and see there's, the fifth seal has this cry from the saints who are in heaven. Verse 9, when he, the Lord Jesus, was the one who's worthy to open the seals. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And then it speaks of the, the reality that these saints have conquered in Christ. <clears throat> All those whom the woman, the great prostitute, has put to death and persecuted will rejoice at the just judgments of God. And think of what this knowledge must have meant to a persecuted church. What it means to Christians throughout all the ages that suffer and are persecuted. The prostitute has seduced many, involving them in her idolatries. The congregations, for example, who heard these seven letters read aloud knew the names of some of them even. But now the saints learn that the prostitute, like the beast that she rides, will come under the judgment of God. God will repay her for the exact measure of her crimes. And heaven rejoices at this news. And so with the knowledge that heaven rejoices while the earth mourns, John now describes this tragic but inevitable end of the great city. Look at um, the instruction just briefly. <clears throat> 20, it's against a rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. So as the saints are rejoicing for this judgment, then we see this inevitable end of the, of the great city. According to verse 21 and following, this would be the, the third actor scene. It says, Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of the harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters, will be heard in you no more. And the craftsmen of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And her was found the blood of the prophets and saints and all who have been slain on the earth. So crushed by a great boulder, a millstone, never to be seen again, Babylon will be utterly and totally destroyed. This would seem to be referencing the end of Babylon and that final destruction of all that is opposed to God and his Christ. Now listen to Revelation twenty fourteen to 15. So just a couple chapters over. Then... Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Well, that's the end. And and since she, Babylon, led the nation astray through her seductions, since her streets ran with the blood of the prophets and the saints, there will be no more sounds of music and joy and laughter within her walls at this time. There will be no sounds of craftsmen working their trades. There will be no sound of life in the homes. And the day-to-day affairs of life will suddenly cease 
when God's judgment comes upon this wicked city. Her end is certain, and the judgment upon her will be complete, and nothing will remain of her. The implication of John's vision of destruction of, of the great Babylon should be clear. Uh, despite the seduction of the prostitute, her beauty is false. Her wealth will be consumed by the fires of judgment. And all those who have become deceived by her and entangled in her idolatry will weep and mourn as they witness her final destruction. And their destruction is soon after as well. Because the final fate of the prostitute, of which at the end of the age... There will be no coming back from it. It will also be everyone who's not trusting in Christ's fate as well. And so the kings and the merchants and the seafaring men are all terrified by the awesome sight of the great city disappearing before their very eyes. No one will have an excuse before God Almighty. The testimony of the church, which is a mercy to the lost, will at that point be gone forever. And notice verse 23 The light of a lamp will shine no more in you, and the voice of a bridegroom and bride will be heard no more, or will be heard in you no more. Therefore, Christians should not only take heart by the fact that the prostitute will indeed get what is coming to her in the end, but we are reminded in part of our calling as the witnesses of chapter 11. Remember back to the beginning of the response in verse 4, the second scene of the chapter. Those who are seduced by Babylon's deceptive ways are given warning are giving chances. Come out of her, my people, was the cry of the angel on behalf of God. Well, not only now is there still time to escape from her grasp, and so we should warn and tell others, but her illusory beauty and wealth are now exposed for what they are, the satanic deceptions which will be stripped away. Don't be deceived by the lies of this world, friends. Don't let people in your life, loved ones, be deceived by these things. Tell them the truth. True riches and true beauty can only be found in Christ Jesus because it is Jesus Christ who's died for his bride, purifying her from every stain, spot, and blemish of sin. And Jesus was raised for her justification so as to provide her with a perfect righteousness. While the bride of the beast, the prostitute, Babylon, faced a certain destruction, we see here clearly in chapter 18 that we saw that here clearly in chapter 18. The bride of Christ is being prepared for a glorious feast, the marriage supper of, of Christ the Lamb. And we'll see that in the latter chapters of this book. And so not only should we tell others, but we must contend with the question ourselves. What will it be? The seductive allures of the prostitute of the world or the true beauty and riches of Jesus Christ? Now is the time to decide. Before it's too late, now is the time that we have to warn others, come out from her. Brothers and sisters, do not be deceived to think that the world's, and this, this, the world's pleasures are of supreme worth and worthy to be worshipped. Anything the world can give us, often even good things, we have to be on guard so that they do not become idols in place of where God should be in our lives. Indeed, only God is worthy of our worship. And so we must come to him through faith in Christ. And once we come to him in faith, we must worship him and serve him as he has ordained in his word. It's not up to us at that point to we come to him and then we just worship him according to how we want. We worship him according to what he has said in his word. And we, we again, some of it is sufferable because we have to put the old man to death. And we can't let 
the things of this world, even good things, become idols in our life and take away from the worship that the one true God deserves. We are to live for the furtherance of his kingdom in this world, understanding that there is also a kingdom of darkness at the same time. This Babylon, which only um, deceives and then kills. But we are to live in this world for his glory, not ours. Remember the words of the Apostle Paul. So whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now Babylon is perishing. We might not always be able to see it. It might look at times like the world is doing well and the church is declining. But that is not the reality. The world system opposed to God and his Christ is nothing more than a corpse with makeup. And we are called to come out of her. And by grace, let's be serious as well of, seeing, of, of working to see others come out of her while we still have the time. Let's pray. Oh, holy God, we are so grateful and thankful for these warnings, Lord. We need them. Forgive us for times in which we are seduced by Babylon, as it were, and we allow things that are even sometimes good get in the way of our worship of you, that we have our priorities often misplaced. And certainly we pray for forgiveness when we allow foolish things to do that, sinful things transgressions to do that, Lord. And so we pray for grace that you might help us to be strong, that you would help us to believe what your word says, and that you would remind us, Lord, of the reality that what this world offers us is nothing compared to the, the depth of the riches and love that are ours in Christ Jesus. Help us to be steadfast. Help us to abide in you. We need your help always. And we thank you for all things, knowing that you are the only God and that you are sovereign. May you be exalted. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> all right, friends. Well, we have...